Well, thank you, Joe, and thank you, musicians, and all the guys that lead us uh, in biblical worship today. I hope you brought your Bible. Turn with me. We began a brand new sermon series today, uh, the Beatitudes. It's not a very, it's not an unfamiliar passage. It's a passage that many of us have read time and time and time again, studied in Sunday school or life groups, or maybe you've heard some sermon series from this platform on uh, the Beatitudes. As I began to prepare for the 2024 uh, and where we're going to go over the next eight weeks, I don't normally like to do long uh, uh, series like that because some people get tired of them, you know, and our, our mentality. But it's hard for us to jam everything in of this wonderful text into a couple, two or three weeks. And so what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is we're going to take one beatitude at a time and work our way down through each one of them. And we're going to be looking at these beatitudes from a perspective of how can this help me? How can this motivate me? How can the beatitudes that was written so many years ago, uh, how can that expand my territory? How can it make me a better person in 2024? Matthew's Gospel chapter 5, beginning with the first verse through the 12th verse. And each week, if you'll permit me, I will read the text each week and then go back and focus in on one verse. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, very important line, underscore that, he sat down, and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Blessed, uh, uh, rejoice, excuse me, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you join me as we pray? Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight today. God, remove any obstacle standing in the way from us hearing from you today. God, just break down any barrier, any preconceived idea, any, any preconceived understanding that we might have. Father, remove those obstacles in a, in the, out of our way today so that we may get a fresh glimpse of this amazing text today. Father, I ask you right now to do what you want to do in this place. Save that one that might be need, need to be saved, that one that's viewing us for our live stream that, that doesn't know you, that they've tuned in for some reason. Father, it's not by chance, it's an appointment of you, from you, Lord, to, for them. And today, this is an appointed time. And Father, I pray that you save that one that needs to be saved. Rekindle the fire in that one that is wayward. Maybe today, beginning a fresh new start. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you in the strong and blessed name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, amen. Verse 
3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So the title of the message today is simply this. Poor in spirit. Now, if I said this before, I know that I have. Maybe you've forgotten it, so it's worth repeating once again. This Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever written by the greatest sermon writer and delivered by the greatest preacher of all time in this world, any time. And his name was Jesus Christ, our Lord. The multitudes, when you see in verse 1, when you see in verse 1, the multitudes are the crowd, depending on what translation you might be reading from, consist of the people in Matthew that he'd already mentioned over in chapter 4, verse 23 and following. This comprised of a large group of disciples. Now, I want you to hang on to that word disciple because we're going to discuss that in just a moment. Disciples were not just the 12 that we assume that we called the disciples. The disciples are many others who followed Jesus. Jesus sought to learn from him. Essentially, disciple means learner. They did not all continue to follow him. We know that fact in John chapter 6. Scripture is, reveals that to us. Not all of them were genuine believers either. Even those that are in the in this inner circle of the 12 that we call, that we speak of. There was one who never was a true follower. One that was never a true believer. One that was never saved. And his name was Judas, uh, uh, Judas Iscariot. He was notably the most of all of those guys that we would consider disciples that did not follow him. The term disciple in the gospel is a large, encompassing, uh, includes those who chose to follow him in some time and in any way that we should not equate believer and the word disciple that the New Testament talks about. We should not equate them. Joseph Dillard, in his book, Reign of the Servant King, writes these words. To say that every Christian is a disciple seems to contradict the teaching of the New Testament. In fact, one could be a disciple and not be a Christian at all. Now, I want you to let that sink in. One could be a disciple following, but not a Christ follower. One could follow along and join in the crowd, but yet not be sold out. Now, how does that equate to 21st century church? We have in church, and I'm just going to be blunt honest, like I'm never blunt honest. We, we, we are going to just be honest with you today. We have a vast majority of people that actually attend worship gatherings on Sunday, yet they're not true followers of Jesus. They're consumers of what happens They check off the box and say, I've done my church for the week. And maybe tip God with a check, a tithe, an offering, or an online contribution. But they're truly not followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, one could be a disciple and not be a follower, as Dillard says. He goes on to say, this alone alerts us to the fact that Jesus did not always equate being a disciple with being a Christian. I love what we see in verse 1. Customarily, the rabbi teacher, he sat down. Jesus followed the Levitical order of the day. When he got time to read Scripture, he what? He always stood to read Scripture. Now, we don't have a place for me to sit up here. And I'm not going to sit on the floor because I'd never get back up. But he would always find a place to sit. And on this particular day, he was on the mountain. And the Bible tells us in verse 1 that he sat down. This posture is 
implied that Jesus, he had authority. The exact location of the mountain Matthew refers to is quite unknown in Scripture, but probably it was around the Galilean area. Matthew referred uh, this unknown area near the Sea of Galilee, perhaps near Capernaum, uh, where Jesus was from. There is no real mountains nearby. I've been there. There's no real huge mountains. There's a lot of pretty good size hills that he might have sat in. Matthew Henry, the, uh, the old, old uh, theologian said, Christ preached this sermon, which was an exp- exposition of the law upon a mountain, because upon a mountain the law was given. But observe the differences. When the law was given, the Lord came down upon the mountain. Now the Lord went back up to the mountain, and he spoke under thundering and lightning in a still small voice. People were attracted to this amazing sermon that the Lord was given. Now, this phrase, poor in spirit, are are those who recognize the natural unworthiness that we stand before in the presence of God. But rather, we, we depend utterly on him for mercy and grace. By grace, you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the free gift of God. But mercy is bestowed upon us. It is given to us. Notice what A.W. Tozer says, the poor in spirit are those who recognize their natural unworthiness to stand in God's presence, who utterly depend on him for grace and for mercy. They do not trust their own goodness or possessions or anything of their own for God's acceptance. The Jews required material prosperity as an indication of divine approval. Since many of the blessings of God, blessings God promised the righteousness under the Old Testament were material blessings. Now, I'm giving you a lot of background because I want us to set the tone, and we still got some more background, so buckle up. We'll get to the outline for those of you who are itching to fill in the blanks. However, the poor in spirit, the believer, poor in spirit believer, does not regard things as a sign or a self-produced or built-in righteousness, but confesses his or her total unworthiness. The person who is pure in spirit, or poor in spirit, they are the person that says, I don't do it on my own initiative. I do it because I am broken. I am doing it because of God's, I am unworthy, but I do it because of his worthiness in my life. Poor in spirit acknowledges that we lack personal righteousness. John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, he, and apart, apart from me, he, he does nothing. He says, I abide, I am connected to the vine. Oh, my dear friends, we need to understand this condition as others are in the Beatitudes identified, describe those who have repented and are broken. You are truly humble man, Barclay says, when you are truly despised in your own eyes. I want you to let that sink in because when I read that recently, that just broke my heart. You are truly a truly humble man when you are truly despised in your own eyes. That means when you say, I look myself in the mirror and I really don't like what I see. Can I get an amen to that? You see, I believe there's many of us in this room that are walking in that area right now. Such a person can have joy 
in his or her humility because the attitude of personal unworthiness is necessary for us to experience the kingdom of God. The kingdom does not go primarily on to material wealth, but those who admit to say, I am spiritually bankrupt without Jesus in my life. Completely bankrupt without Jesus in my life. One of the writers believed that Jesus uh, was not talking about entering into the kingdom, but possessing, uh, uh, possessing the poor in spirit and reign over that in their own life. Dr. Hodges, one of my professors, wrote these words. I think Jesus meant that being poor in spirit is the most basic attitude of those who enter the kingdom and those in it, at both in and out, neither of us can acquire it without Jesus. We have to have the Lord Jesus. To be poor in spirit, you must surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The first and the last beatitude that we will discuss over these next few weeks give a reason for blessedness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The phrase forms an envelope surrounding it, remaining in this beatitudes. It gives us an understanding this literary form shows that the beatitudes deal with the kingdom of heaven. For those of the kingdom of heaven at the, end, the beginning and at the end. Oh, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Because the Apostle Paul gives us an unbelievable uh, description in Romans chapter 7 verse 15 and following. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am practicing, what I would like to do, but I do, I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Paul just declares that I just I, I got all this unworthiness in me. I want to do what I want to do good, but he's saying I don't do what I'm supposed to do in doing good. The apostle Paul just drove it home, did he not? I've read several commentaries on this verse trying to give an explanation, trying to explain it away that Paul was talking about his pre-Christian days. But understand, dear friends, he was writing to the church at Rome. So he had to know them, not, to, not true at all. The fact that Paul was writing in the middle of Romans, in the verbs and the verbs in this t pretense, which says, I am doing it now. He's saying, I want to do something different. I want to be poor in spirit, so to speak, but I don't act that way. I don't come across that way. I'm not worthy of that. When you see the word blessed or blessed means to be happy, the key phrase that we're looking at today is poor in spirit. So I, I started thinking over the last several weeks, what can this beatitudes, these beatitudes, what could this bring to us that would encourage us to be more like Christ? So I came up with three things that I be, believe that will help us. How do I develop the spirit of being poor in spirit? Well, first of all, this is going to be earth-shaking to you. I must and you must humbly admit that I and you, we need help. Did that not wow you? 
Didn't that just blow you away? Wow, Dan is so astute. We just need to humbly admit that we can't do this. We can't grow Roswell Street back, to, back like it once was. Numerically and spiritually like it once was on our own. We can't do it. We need to humbly ask God, Lord, I need to have a poor in spirit attitude. James chapter 4, verse 6, the New Living Translation says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. One of the things that I heard not long ago, and I, I just, it just blew me away. We're talking about the church, and he's talking about Roswell Street, and I was just bragging. I was, oh, man, God's Ro- Roswell And this person said, well, you know, it's Roswell Street. And I wanted to say, so? <laughs> Folks, let me tell you something. I praise God for the amazing foundation that we have here. But if God is going to send us the next senior pastor, by the way, we can hire a preacher tomorrow. But calling a pastor takes time. And we need to be ready to receive him. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't, I don't have any kind of uh, special knowledge here. But we're getting there. We're getting closer every day that God gives us another moment to, to do something different, to make his presence known in this community. We are getting closer, but we're not close enough because he hasn't sent it. So what we need to do is that we need to admit that we need help. We need a Savior. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's be honest. I don't know about you, but I'm broken. Nothing in life is perfect. I got a phenomenal marriage, but it ain't perfect. She's in the room, so you don't have to call her up and tell her that I said that. (laughs) It's amazing. You've got amazing marriages. We have amazing marriage, but it's not perfect. Why? Because we got humans involved in the marriage. It's not perfect. Now, she probably says, Dan is perfect. He is the most wonderful person on the planet. Don't believe what she says. It's not true. The economy that we live in in the United States, we have the greatest country on planet Earth. God has blessed the United States of America. I am so thrilled that I am a United States citizen, that God so chose me to be born in this amazing country, but we are not perfect. Our economy is clearly not perfect. Deb went to the grocery store recently, which was shocking. No, just tell her. She went to the grocery store, she bought some food, she came back, she said, I spent $275 at the grocery store. I said, how many meals? She said, I got three. I went, <laughs> Roast was wonderful. But my stars, it's expensive, right? Why? Because the economy is a mess. And we need some help in that area. We need to get our life on track. We're broken people. The world's broken. Just look around. Go on your favorite television newscast. And believe me, the world is broken. We are all in the same boat. Broken. It takes the humble to admit that. Psalms 32, verse 3 and 5. When I kept silent about my sin, my body washed away, though I, my groomed, grooming, groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. 
My vitality was drained away with fever, heat of summer. Verse 5, listen to this. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and forgive, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. But notice what the writer in Proverbs says. Proverbs 28, verse 13, especially the last part. You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Notice this. Confess them and give them up. Then God will show you mercy. We say, oh, we want God to show mercy, right? We want to see that happening quickly, right? When, first of all, you've got to come clean before God. You've got to confess your sins before a holy God. We must admit our sins to be able to overcome and defeat our sins. Admitting our pride and our fear keeps us stuck. As Adam said in the garden, he said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Oh, my friends, we must admit we need help. Second, how to. I need to humbly ask God for help. Now, gather in here close because I'm going to give you some straight-up scripture here in just a second. It's going to help us drive this home. But we are so good. Joe, we're so good at church work. We have figured this work and doing church work out. We Baptists, and I, I'm just going to kind of pat on us just a little bit. We're the best at figuring this stuff out. I mean, we really are. Now, we're not really the best, but we, we think we are. We have figured out how to move the thing. We've figured out how to do the church thing. We have figured out all the moving pieces, and, and we try to get ourselves into a routine. And sometimes we can do this without God's help. You said, oh, no, not at Roswell Street. Give me a break. Yes, it happens at Roswell Street. Yes, it happens at my church. Yes, it happens at my former church. Dear friends, let me tell you something. We can make this stuff work, but it's not anointed of God until we ask God for his help. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us, for he can even raise the dead. Oh, my dear friends, when we move from our confession, we move from confession to petition, we are admitting that we need help from God. There is nothing that God can't or won't do to help us in times of need. He wants to help us. He wants to bless us. He's not a vengeful God. He's not one to say, well, I just want to keep Roswell Street Church, that bunch of believers down there. I want to keep them in disarray. No. He does not because the light needs to shine bright. Oh, my dear friends, we must ask God for help. Message Bible, I never preached from it, but I love the paraphrase of Matthew 5, verse 3. You are, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rules. Less of me and more of God. I must admit I need help. I must ask God for help. And thirdly and finally, aren't you glad? I must humbly Accept help from others. I don't know about you, but I, some of the 
some of the greatest times in my personal life is when I came to the understanding that I couldn't do this on my own. And I'm pretty good about a lot of things. But man, I just can't do this church thing by myself. I just can't lead it. That's why we need iron sharpening iron. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they, because they have a good return on their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. Oh, you've, know, you've heard the old saying, right? If you could, you would. But you can't, so you won't. Honestly, we are not weak people if we ask for help. We're not weak people. There's nothing wrong for asking for help. James 5, verse 16, listen to this, beautiful. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Gather in here close, don't miss this. If you're not in a one-to-one or multiple people doesn't have to be a big group. But if you don't have some accountability partners walking life with you, you're missing the greatest blessing that you can be to someone and that you can receive from someone. Dear friends, let me tell you something. Some of the greatest moments I have is not just in this pulpit. Those the greatest moments I have is not just in this worship facility or serving a church or our own mission field in Honduras or, or wherever I might be in a corporate Bible study setting. They're some of the greatest moments that I have is when I'm with my accountability group and we're discussing life and walking life together. Admitting we have a need. Poor in spirit says, I need you to help me become more poor in spirit that's why we have it figured out we have it figured out in church work here at baptist world we used to call it sunday school but now we call it life groups we do things called grow groups one-to-one time with other believers they are essential for our own good and the good of others so why do we not ask this was from this morning's quiet time Why do we not ask? I jotted down some things. Because we know the ground rules. Because Satan will keep us stuck stuck in in our fears of our own emotions. We're unable to handle them. Satan will rise up and say, don't tell them those situations. They will judge you. Fear of what reactions of others. They may reject me or you. Fear of being honest and useless. What's the point? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, hadn't seen any results. Oh, my dear friends, why we don't ask is because we're afraid. And nobody puts fear into our lives, none other than Satan himself. He puts that fear into our lives. Don't do it. Just ride it out. I must admit I need help. I must ask God who is waiting and willing and ready to meet our needs where we are. And I must humbly accept help from others. One final verse, and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, the new century verse. I thought it was so beautiful. When we were unable to help ourselves, underline this verse, at 
the right time, Christ died for us. At the right time. That's why he is perfect and we're not. Blessed are those, blessed are those who are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Before we begin to have our Lord's Supper, we have two ordinances to the church. That's the ordinance of baptism, believers, believers' baptism. And then we have the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Those are the two that the Lord gave to us. All the other stuff is we've, we've come up with or we've, we've man-made or whatever. But these are the two ordinances of the, of the church. The ordinance of believers' baptism and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And it is for those who are followers and believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are saved by his grace. I don't know, some churches back in the day, it was only for the church members. That's not the case at Roswell Street. If you are a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're a guest here today, we invite you to enjoy this time of reflection. This time of moment of what the Lord did to us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth something so beautiful for us, for us to be reminded of this ordinance. He said, for I received from the Lord that which was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night which he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup. And after saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do it this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in the Lord is in, in, is in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, my dear friends, listen to me. If you're not right with God, this is not a time to do this. But in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And you can pray along with me and ask God to cleanse you and purify your life so that you can take these elements in a worthy manner to remember the Lord's death and it's coming again. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this moment. Thank you that we have this opportunity as a church to take a moment in our worship gathering right now. That we can take this bread and take this cup. And that we can do it as often as we do it in remembrance of you. And God, I pray that we will do it in such a way that it will bless you and benefit us And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. If you're here today and you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ here at the table, we have tables in the middle of section back there. We'd ask you to stand and just walk, make your way there to grab one of each of them and go back to your seat and then we'll take it together as a body of Christ here right now. So go, take this moment.
And when they gave thanks, they broke the bread. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Pastor Joe Buckner, our worship pastor and executive pastor, to pray for this moment. Heavenly Father, we're thankful as we come to the table today, knowing that a price was paid for you to present this to us. This is your body. This is your blood. And Father, we're thankful for your sending Jesus to the earth. And Jesus, we're thankful that you took on the full role of Messiah as you took on the, the scars and the stripes and all that it took to pay the penalty for our sins. Father, we're thankful that Jesus, as his cousin would introduce him, was the spotless Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. We can't help but be thankful in this moment for what you did for us. But as Paul has mentioned to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we know that a man must examine himself before partaking of the Lord's Supper. So at this moment, if there's any way inside of us that is not pleasing to you, Father, we confess that we're not where we need to be. So, Father, cleanse us, heal us, and provide a path to restoration once again, not an issue of salvation, but an issue of restoration. Will God help us in this moment as we take of the Lord's Supper, help us to always be mindful that there was a price tag for what we're partaking today. In Jesus, we're so thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take it easy. And in the same way, he took the cup. And after the supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this reminder that we can have as the church, that we can come boldly to this table today and while it is such a somber moment, Father, we rejoice that your full purpose was to come for the salvation of mankind. Father, we thank you that you went to the cross for us. We thank you, Father, that you went to the cross for the sins of the world. And where Scripture says, for there's no shedding of blood, there'll be no forgiveness of sin. And Father, you took you took the sins of the world to the cross, and we rejoice in that. While, Father, we know this is not actual blood, it's just a symbol of this wonderful moment. Don't ever let us forget this. Don't ever let us forget the blood that you shed for us, and we give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Drink. And in the same way, it is historically said that they sang a song that night. And so I challenge you today to stand with me. 
as pastor leads us in a song in just a moment, I challenge you if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, or if you're here today and you are saved and you're looking for a church family to be a part of, we invite you to be a part of what God is up to here. Or maybe you just have a word you want to come and share with me or one of our encouragers, or maybe you just want to come and pray here at this altar. Whatever decision you have, this is that moment. Don't walk away from here today. Would you join us as we sing?